Hi, my name is Alyssa Grace Doretto. I'm the author of Don't Borrow Trouble, published in creative nonfiction, and you are listening to Behind the Prose. Prosers, I'm back with you for week two of my redo, reboot of season two of Behind the Prose. Thanks for coming back to me this week. And I would like to update you as usual. It's the check-in. I have... uh, added a couple more to my current submission chunk of uh, 20. I'm up to 18 now and still no official yeses. I got like a maybe, a possible, but nothing solid yet. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I still have some that are unanswered. Um, I typically take that to mean no, but I'm going to hold out hope until I start this next uh, chunk of 20. And if you're like, what the heck is she talking about? Chunk of 20, go pick up the writer magazine, get the back issue for September, 2016. And I write all about it in my article, the science of submission, where I actually take data from some writers who um, are pretty successful and uh, supports my theory that you get accepted about 10% of the time. So I also have another article out in the writer magazine. It's on stands right now. It's the March issue. Um, holding it in my hand. It's called, well, not my article is called, but the cover of this issue is self promotion is not a dirty word. Um, and it's all about hiring publishers, honing your online bio, social media platforms. So check that out. My article is in the off the cuff section, which is a monthly feature. And the article is titled the hiccups of self publishing or why one writer has 5,000 book flyers in a closet. Yeah, that, that writer's me. So if you want to find out how not to have 5,000 flyers, please go pick up the March 2017 issue of The Writer Magazine. <clears throat> I also have been, you know, I just kind of stopped. I, You guys know I was really busy last semester and I was probably focusing more on school than I probably should have been. I just let my own stuff go by the wayside, but I'm getting back on my game. So I've been catching up on my reading, um, on McSweeney's and, um, the New Yorker and split cider, which is another, uh, great site I found that has a humor section. And I'm finding this through researching writers that I would like to interview, um, and reading things on, uh, the New Yorker and McSweeney's. And I came across a post from December that the editor of the humor section, Emma Allen had posted the title of the post is not to be missed shouts of 2016. I'll put the link on behind the or just go right to the New Yorker and Google that I'm featured. She featured one of my humor pieces. She featured how to deal with an angry electorate. So please, I'm so honored to be in that category of people. Who else is on this list? Um, Ian Frazier, Catherine Mevs, Colin Nissan, or Nissan, I'm not sure how to say his last name. Um, but yeah, Cora Frazier's on here. Phoebe Robinson. Yes, I talked to her editor last a week on Behind the Pros. I, I aired that for you. And she's also on this list. So I feel pretty good about that. I'm in good company. And um, I'm happy to be in good company. And I'm happy to be in your company. 
Alyssa Sorresso is a creative nonfiction writer. She has uh, performed her stories out loud, which is something that she loves to do. Um, she has also been nominated for a Three Arts Award in Teaching Arts in 2016. She's been published in Creative Nonfiction, Ohio Edit, The Femme, and her essay, Don't Borrow Trouble, which we talk about that was in Creative Nonfiction, was listed as notable in the Best American Essays 2015. So, without further ado, here's Alyssa Grace Sorresso. I'm so happy to, like, finally talk with you. I met yeah. Alyssa at uh, the 2014 Creative Nonfiction Writers Conference. And I was there for Behind the Prose, and I was looking for people to talk to. And lo and behold, up came Alyssa. Yeah, I was like... It was funny because at, at that, con it was like the kind of first writing, official writing conference I had ever been to. And the first day I got there, I was like skulking in the background, not talking to anybody because I just feel like I'm really bad at small talk. And, you know, those conferences are so much about that. And uh, the second day I was like, you just like paid $500 to come here and not talk to anybody. And that's really stupid. So you're like, hey, if you want to be talk to me through my podcast. I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go up to this woman and be like, I want to talk to you. And then I did. And we had a lovely conversation. Yes. And since that conversation, we've been planning to um, <laughs> do an interview because at the time, the summer 2014 creative nonfiction um, issue was out. The issue was titled Telling Stories That Matter. How Narrative is Illuminating Tough Subjects from Capital Punishment to Science Policy. And in this issue, which is number 52, right here on page uh, 74, in the Pushing the Boundaries section in Experiments in Nonfiction, we have an essay by Alyssa Grace Ceresso. Yeah. Don't Borrow Trouble. Yep, yep. It's my first essay that I ever got published, uh, like legitimately. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to it's her first essay, and it's in Creative Nonfiction Magazine. So we're going to talk about how that happened. Um, but first, let's, uh, let's explore a little bit about just who you are. Right here on the side of it, we have you're a creative nonfiction writer. You live in Chicago. You love telling stories out loud. You have a master's in applied theater from the Central School of Speech and Drama in London. So, yep. What what is that? What, what else are you doing now? Well, actually, coincidentally, I'm currently in London again um, on a very different mission, uh, not an academic one, but a kind of personal self-funded sabbatical <laughs> one mm -hmm. where my partner Dan and I are uh, traveling the world for up to a year. And uh, we've just started out on this journey. We left September 29th, and we've uh, been mainly in England, uh, largely in London for the past couple of weeks. And tomorrow we're actually heading up to Scotland and uh, going on from there. So, wow. yeah. So are you like <laughs> Airbnb in the whole way? Or? So you're like uh doing Airbnb the whole way or what's going on there? Well, I would say that um, 
uh, not the whole way, but I would say that we're siphoning the the good uh, vibes of our friends that live in <laughs> live in Europe and um, staying at their place. So currently, I'm at my friend Brian's house in London or his flat. Uh, and then Scotland, we're doing Airbnb and any other place in Europe, uh, and probably into like Southeast Asia, we're we're gonna be doing that or hostels, but. Uh, any any home that I know somebody, <laughs> any place I know someone will definitely stay there. And especially like in our first leg, which has us going largely through Europe, um, which is more expensive, we'll look for free places to stay. So, yeah. <laughs> so how do you think this trip is going to inform your writing content and maybe even practice? Yeah, it's such a good question, one I've been thinking about for many, many months, um, largely because I'm, I like to plan a lot. And so, you know, I've made lists of things that I want to do. And I've, you know, written down like what my morning rituals are and like what I want them to be to include writing every day and all this stuff. And um you know, fortunately, I've already written my book, apparently, but <laughs> um, oh. that, yeah, no, not really. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's like the reality versus the fantasy um, of things, uh, especially, you know, I, if I had my way, I'd already be writing like something really awesome in like the first two weeks of travel. But I forget that, of course, you have to do this transition into actually like living a different life than you were living for like three years. Um, I, I think that it, it will be a lot about space and a lot about time and something that we writers find very precious um, and are always kind of grasping at carving out in our lives. Um, and I don't know, maybe a part of me didn't really believe I would have enough time or a lot of time or all this time that everybody was said that I was going to have. But uh, in the past two weeks, I really found that the most important thing for me, and I think really the first step in developing um, the writing practice that I want is slowing myself down and understanding that I have no responsibility to anybody else. Um, and I can carve out my day as I want. If I want to spend the entire day writing, I can do that. If I uh, want to come home from like sightseeing all day and, you know, sit down and just journal, I can do that. And it, it, it's much more about um, seeing the possibilities within, you know, this like 12, 15 hour chunk of time that normally was taken up by you know, work and uh, different projects and teaching and all this other stuff. So I think that in itself, this, the slowing down and really um, applying myself to that time. I, I, mm -hmm. I think that that's a really interesting thing for me um, because I've always, I've worked full time for, um, for most of the time that I've like considered myself a writer and um and that in itself, when you're coming home from a full day, is is really difficult to uh, motivate yourself to like have a writing practice. Mm -hmm. And and I would say that I did, um, but 
you know, it it was one that that wasn't completely immersive for me, and I, I'd like to to be able to do that now that I'm that I have the time to. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm hoping that'll one work out. The, <laughs> it'll still be, it'll still be I, I hard work, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I I'm thinking about what you're saying and thinking about the essay borrowed trouble and I get a real sense of place from that even though you're not heavy on the description the way you um the way you obviously dole it out through the essay it's Mm -hmm. very focused like a rat scurrying underneath the tracks and maybe it's also the pacing of the essay so are you going to have like a little journal by your side when you are (laughs) just about in the world over there yeah, that's it's interesting because I was like, you know, reading over this piece and then reading over like the um, when I first wrote it, um, and something that is obvious that's like not in this final piece. Uh, something that I actually wrote that's more like journaly is at the end. I was like the entire time that I went that I was going through this experience. I was thinking I was like. Um, putting it together in my head, I was uh, specifically like notating everything that was happening because I knew I wanted to write it down. And, you know, in one way that I, I, I do have a notebook and I do carry it around in my purse, but I haven't yet developed a kind of knee jerk reaction to like pulling it out when I see something interesting um, although I actually just did that today. <laughs> so like, maybe it's starting, maybe it's starting to like seep in a little bit, but, um, I don't know. I, I find that I, I like being immersed in observation, like really high intensity observation. Um, and I mean, this particular event was so emotionally packed that I think it did heighten my observation very much, which was why I was able to retain all this detail about it. And I, I think I basically like got home and wrote it and wrote it all out. Um, obviously not the final piece, but, but I looked back and there's, I mean, there's basically the story structure is there already. Um, so I, I, I'm hoping that I do because I, I certainly think that I'll be in a much more relaxed state, hopefully, you know, as I go traveling. Um, uh, maybe sometimes I won't, and those will be the times that I remember the most. Um, but I always have it. I have my my little notebook because I want it, you know, and I take like recipes down in it and like, <laughs> tiny little observations. But yeah, not not to this extent quite yet. And you said that you wrote it out at once, at least went home and journaled the event. And so for people who haven't read it yet, um, we're talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, the event that you're talking about is being on the train and learning that your mother has cancer. So that night, like, so in in the essay, you go home and you talk to Dan. And so you're saying that night you went and kind of just put some feelings down in your journal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I had the conversation with Dan um, and after dinner, I, I sat down on the couch and I wrote, wrote it out. 
Um, now, how did it, it go from that to um, being in uh, creative nonfiction? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, there are definitely a little bit of lag, well, lag time always, obviously. Um, I did a few drafts, a few, I got to be honest, I don't know really how much I revised this. You know, I didn't like ever just rewrite it. Um, I felt like this was pretty solid. Uh, after, After I had done like my first kind of my first revision, I sent it to a good friend of mine to read, uh, and he read it, gave his opinion. I did a little bit more work on it, and then I started sending it out. Um, okay, I'm going to pause I, you right there. Um, sure. So you said that you, you initially wrote it in your journal, and I, I'm in my mind, I'm imagining the journal is a print. Is it print, or, or do you have a like electronic journal? I used to. I used to write. Uh, I have a lot of written journals that I have, but I don't, I don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't do that as much. Yeah. So when you're doing the revision process on your own first, mm-hmm. are yeah. you, for example, do you use any writing scrivener or do you just save multiple um, versions of the file mm-hmm. in Microsoft Word? How's your technical approach to that? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I use Google Drive now um, mm-hmm. to save everything and obviously like back it up and stuff. But um, I just work off of Microsoft Word and save multiple versions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll have versions that my friends have looked at that, you know, that have their specific feedback on. Um, yeah, I haven't used Scrivener. I've been interested in that, but I haven't taken a look mm-hmm. at it. Um, you know, I like having... Uh, even like looking back at like my my folder for this, I liked seeing like the 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 progress on that. I like seeing that how the story was shaped and and evolved through that. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's currently what I do. So when did you hear about? Did you always know at that time that you wanted to submit it to creative nonfiction, or did you hmm. find that out? after um hmm i think i'm not quite sure i i I knew about i certainly knew about creative nonfiction. um just from like trying to educate myself on the field and um and poking around on the website and stuff uh, I think honestly, what caught my eye was there was a call for their um, exploring, like pushing the boundaries section, and I thought my piece would be a good fit just because of the um, the structure of it and the the language, uh, how the sentence structure is, is set up. Um, so, you know, I submitted it to a couple other. Um, not like well-respected um, journals, like online journals, but creative nonfiction was the only one that I submitted to that was actually like a print. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, then I, um, that was probably, I probably had like, I probably sub- wrote it. I think I found that out in like February or March. Like I found out my mom had cancer around then uh, in like the, early or late winter and then started submitting stuff in, I want to say like June or July. 
Uh, and then I heard from Creative Nonfiction, I want to say in that September, um, and they had said that it that it made it to like the final round of whatever of people sitting around reading your stories. <laughs> um, and so I, I waited for a few months and then finally they reached, they reached back out to me and confirmed that they would, they would go ahead and uh, publish it. So, yeah. So did you have any editing with them after that? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Mm -hmm. um, and you were, were you working with um, Hattie? I was working with Hattie. Yeah, I was working with Hattie Fletcher. I was very uh, lucky to work with her and excited. She was really great. Um, so I'm looking at the piece here, and for people who might not have heard of the section, Experiments in Fiction, Pushing the Boundaries, <laughs> how would you describe the pieces that would make a good fit for this section? Mm. Hmm. I don't. I don't really know. It's <laughs> a good question. I think. I think thing like pieces that don't mind interrupting the traditional narrative, um, which is hard. <laughs> it's a. It's a much harder thing to do. Um, I, I feel like I got kind of lucky this time in terms of doing it because I'm currently working on another piece that where I'm trying to replicate this in a way. I'm trying to repeat this kind of um, more disjointed way of telling a story, but you still need an arc, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's something to pull the reader through, whether that's emotional or, or narrative based, but um I think like, and again, this is me just going off of my piece and like why I thought it would be a good fit. Um, you know, I, I didn't mind not having complete sentences. I, I didn't, I liked, um, I liked bringing the reader like into my brain and what I was actually thinking um, and how my brain actually functions. So like actually, um, reflecting reflecting something that normally you can't get you can't get a glimpse into if that makes sense mm -hmm. um and then i mean for me like my use of lists and like inserting i don't i don't know it's interesting that I, that i think about lists are something that's kind of contemporary now in writing in a way, um, mm -hmm. you know, with like li with listicles. Um, mm -hmm. But still, I don't know what those are. I hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds way too much like testicle for my comfort. Yeah, so. like, mm. we, don't, you know, <laughs> we don't want to write. We don't want to use that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think playing with forms. Um, really lends itself itself to this um and ultimately like taking taking a risk <laughs> with your writing I know that's like super vague um but doing something that is that makes you feel kind of off balance I feel like this piece made me feel 
while I was writing it a little, a little off balance in terms of like, what am I, what am I doing with it writing wise? Um, yeah. Well, as you say that, I, I'm looking at the spread on page seventy-eight, seventy-nine, <laughs> and I, I'll put a, I'll put a picture of this up. The, the, the layout is off balance, right? Because on yeah. page 79, you have paragraphs, right? Full, mostly full yeah. paragraphs. And on page 78, you have maybe a paragraph at the top, and then there are these lists and indented conversations and a use of white space um, yeah. there that's not happening. So just as you say that, it's, it's off balance even in um, its layout, the way it's yeah. expressed. Yeah, and that, it's interesting because I was reading through some email exchanges that Hattie and I had about this and, like, how much to do with uh, the the aesthetic or, like, the look of it. Like, um, for example, uh, all of the dialogue in here, um, including, I think, the dialogue that I actually speak out loud um, is italicized. Um, and we, and originally it was not originally it was just in quotations. Um, mm. but, but I think we chose the, chose to italicize it largely because it gave it a little bit more sense of urgency and a, a bit more sense of like still in my head, um, mm -hmm. than like pulling it out in quotes, um, yeah, I think it's really, it, it's a, <laughs> to be unbalanced is a balancing act in itself because like we talked about doing some other things to accentuate um, different sections of the piece. Um, and Hattie was like, you know, you don't want to really overwhelm the reader. You do want to just keep it simple and authentic to what the words are actually saying. So like, I think that's why when we have a couple lists in here, like things we've learned, things I've said, those are like headed, right? Those are headings and those are, those stand out. And now you know that you're, you're reading, you're reading something uh, and you're looking at something that is uh, kind of functionally different from, from the rest of the piece. So, and I, I don't think I went like totally, crazy with that kind of stuff I didn't when I first submitted it um, mm -hmm. but I did definitely partition out the different uh, sections of my piece like I knew that I wanted it to have that kind of feel to it uh, where it wasn't like just a, a, a flowing thing but you're you're kind of being jolted a little bit as you're reading it as well mm -hmm. and uh, I remember that this essay um, now I remember what it was. You were listed as a notable in the Best American Essays 2015 for this. I one. was. I was. That was <laughs> insane. <laughs> that that's was awesome. And I, that's your yeah. first like speak. Yeah, I know. I was like, damn, I hit a home run with that one. All right. <laughs> How did you find out about that? Do they send you like an email, a phone call? Um, well, Hattie, Hattie reached out to me actually, uh, via email. So I'm assuming that's what happens. It's like, you know, the, um, the publisher receives notice of that and then they reach out to their, to their authors. So unless like that doesn't happen and then they find out through a friend or something. 
Um, but yeah, Hattie was gracious enough to reach out to me. And the this kind of story behind me finding out is that I was in a car with Dan um, uh, driving out to my mom's house uh, la- last year now, crazy. And it, I actually found out the day that she passed away, um, wow. which was pre- like I was literally driving out to see her. Um, she had already died and I got this email from Hattie and she's like, this has been listed as notable. And I was like, wow, that's, I, I couldn't, I was, I was like, life is weird. (laughs) And also, you know, I, I think of it as kind of this parting gift from my mom in a way. Um, and I wrote Hattie back and I was like, this is crazy that you just emailed me because my mom died. And she's like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but it, it, to me, it made it, it made it so that much more meaningful that mm-hmm. something about her life uh, was recognized on the level. So I want to go back a little bit to your revision. How do you know when your piece is done, when it's finished? Um, you're ready I will to be, just, like send it. You're <laughs> ready to send it off. When my friend tells me, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> like it's done, send it. Um, <laughs> honestly, Keisha, like <laughs> I don't. I'm still learning that. I'm still learning to um, sit with my impatience, you know, mm. which is which is kind of stoked by <laughs> this like get your piece published online and do it right now and like tweet it out or you're like losing time like all these other people are getting things published and you're not so send it out and it's so hard Mm -hmm. to sit with that um on the other hand I would say that uh the current piece that I'm working on uh I did I did a lot of revisions on it and I did send it to my friend and my friend agreed that I should send it out and I felt it was done, (laughs) but, um, but it was rejected from a few places. Um, but then I, I sent it to this, uh, journal that, that publishes solely publishes women. And the response I got back from them was like, this is a really good piece, but it's still too personal and uh, here's what we would suggest. Like they, even before they sent this to me, they were lovely, lovely people. And they sent me a notice saying like the story had made it to the final editing or final round for a review. And then they notified me a little bit later and they're like, it didn't make it, but please resubmit it. These is, this is what we would suggest. So, and they said that, and I was like, yeah, of course. Like, thank you for giving me that feedback. I and by that point, I had been doing, since I had gotten, since the story had gotten rejected a few times, I had started doing some revision and like reaching out to other friends of mine. I'm talking about like one friend that I talked to. So I was like, maybe it's time to talk to a different friend. <laughs> so <laughs> so like you said they, they told you it was too personal? Yeah, that it wasn't. So wait, um, I, I can't how is I I feel <laughs> when I read this I am inside your head I'm in your body oh. so what sure, was sure. it that they I'm like what it, oh. and you I well let me let me clarify it wasn't it wasn't this piece 
it wasn't it's i'm oh, not talking okay. about this piece yeah 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 you're All like right. what the hell um yeah, no i'm, like, talk, I'm talking they? give me their number <laughs> <laughs> no um this piece was fine no one told me that but um okay. the the current piece that i'm working on which is also about my mother and written in a somewhat similar way uh mm. where it started it started within my journaling it's still too journaly you know, and that's what they meant by like, it's too personal. But for me, like when I had revised it a few times, I was like, I think this is ready. And I send it out. It gets rejected a few times. I'm like, maybe this isn't ready. And then they, they were gracious enough to give me some really specific feedback that helped me see why it wasn't, you know? Um, so I, I'm still kind of learning that. And and experimenting and trying to really, really sit and ask myself, like, is this, is this the best that I got, you know? And um, sometimes it's hard to answer that question. Uh, you know, I haven't been like writing, you know, uh, seriously for a, a super long time. Uh, and I, I would be curious, you know, to hear from people who have that if they, if, they've gotten better about that you know I'm sure they have in some ways I'm sure the practice really helps so yeah so when did the storytelling start because you were also spoken mm -hmm. word um story presenter um yeah. you've been on the moth story club second story um did that start before um you started submitting your writing or were you doing that I did that, do that yeah. after yeah, that actually kind of happened simultaneously. So um, I spent a a year in London doing a master's degree and did it in applied theater, um, which just means like theater working in like communities and, and settings outside of professional theater. And when I was done, uh, I came home and I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I just spent all this money and I was like, Oh, I found out I actually want to be a writer. Great. Um, so, but, but I love, you know, I love theater. I love performing and Chicago where I landed um, has a very, very vibrant live lit scene, which essentially means, I mean, there's like spoken word, right. Um, which is more like poetic and that's not what I do. Um, what I do is like live lit and like personal narrative storytelling. So um, about the same time that I started writing for submission, uh, I submitted a story for this company called Second Story. They're a really well-known live lit uh, storytelling um, company within Chicago who have like a really fantastic process for like supporting storytelling, supporting their storytellers. And um, I got called in to audition for them. And then after that, um, was accepted into their ensemble and was put on the docket for a show. Um, that's not how all live lit works. That's just like auditioning is part of just their process. Um, mm -hmm. So I really, really got into that. I really, uh, like, I, I, I loved the... Uh, the modality of live lit, I still do, um, just because it, in what, for selfish reasons as a writer, in that it forced me to write. Um, mm -hmm. you 
So in the midst of a full-time job and, you know, a, a part-time job and, and all this other stuff, I would book myself for these live lit events where I would have to write a story for them. And usually the story is like 10 to 12 minutes. Like that's my prep, my um, preferred uh, amount of time. And it would be along a theme and I've gotten some really good stuff out of it. Um, so that that's become part of my practice now uh, is to, to share the stories with, with an audience. And um, I really have come to respect the, the live lit community, uh, particularly in Chicago. Um, and the quality that, that actually exists in terms of the storytelling community. Um, there's a lot of really great, great stuff going on. I was very happy to be a part of it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. would you write a story separately for a pilot event that would not necessarily be an essay or as I think some people think, oh, they're just going to get up there and read their essays. Yeah. Um, so can you explain yeah. that a little bit? Sure. I mean, this is a really salient question for me, um, largely because I have several pieces <laughs> that I developed for Live Lit, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, can I publish these? Like, are these mm. publishable? Because de- now, I will say, depending on the type of event, um, because there's a lot within Live Lit, there are a lot of different formats um, where you can get stuff that is much more like essay and stuff that is much more performance-based um you know but ultimately the stuff that I've been doing I I think I definitely could publish it and I want to and I'm going to start I guess revising to convert or refine some of these pieces for publication online or uh, or in print. Um, I would say like a major difference is the fact that I know that I'm performing this story and I know I'm t- saying it out loud. So part of my story is what you see in my body and what you hear in my voice. So like, you know, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't perform dialogue with like, he said this, by actually like saying like then he said and then she said and then we said or like and his face looked confused like I wouldn't necessarily do that or make those choices because I can communicate those things with my body whereas if you're reading that on the yeah and my voice and and as well I can control the pacing so those are those are some things that you know, when you're reading, you need them because you don't have somebody reading out loud to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of the next one of the next steps in in uh, looking at my writing practice more cl- closely is the interplay between those two worlds um, because what you have in front of you in terms of the the uh, creative nonfiction essay is really different from from what I actually write to perform. I could perform this, you know, I could, but uh, it's not the same in terms of language, uh, in terms of detail, like more or less detail that is necessary. 
Um, it, yeah, it is, it, it is pretty different, but I, there's definitely, definitely been people from the live lit community, um, who have written essays, uh, that they've performed, uh, for events and had those very successfully published. Um, somebody that I know that I know of his name is Ian Belknap, um, is the founder of Write Club in Chicago, and he just got an essay published on the Rumpus um, about having a, a trans child, and he had written that for I think Essay Fiesta. Um, mm. I don't know how much of that was revised so that he could submit it, but I would imagine much of it was not. I would imagine much of it was written as he perf- as he performed it. Um, mm or published, I mean, as he had performed it. So, I, I mean, that, that's, a, that, that's an area that I'm super interested in, um, just in terms of, like, opening up that conversation. Because I do think there are a lot of people in the live book community who are writers and not, not solely performers uh, who are interested in getting their work out there. And we're, we're producing so much work. You know, there's so many stories yeah. that are being told. You know, so and again, I would have point. And I mean, think of all the things mm-hmm. on your cutting room floor that might not have been good for somewhere on yep. print, but maybe it could, I, I would so be interested in talking to you more about that and talking yeah. to Ian, because I'm intrigued now as what's the technical differences that we can totally. see between a live lit story and an essay. Um, yeah. But the, I actually have a clip. Um, we're going to share it with the listeners of your Mother's Day, perf- the poem, oh. Oh, not a poem, your story, Mother's Day. Oh, cool. Okay. My fiancé Dan and I were walking home through our neighborhood when Issa called. My shoulders and chest tightened up as I saw her name on my phone screen. I had told Dan about my increasing anxiety at her calling and how I frequently sent her calls to voicemail. But I answered anyway, already thinking of an excuse to cut it short. Hello? Hello? Issa? Hey, Lissa. I'm not feeling too good. I could barely hear her. She was speaking in a low, mumbling voice, the one that she used when she was depressed or crying or ashamed of something. I hated hearing her voice like this. I stopped in the middle of the sidewalk. What's wrong? I'm thinking about doing it. Been thinking about everything, just when I get it over with. What do you mean, thinking about doing it? Dan stopped a few feet ahead of me and turned around, his brow wrinkled down in concern. I knew what she meant. Issa had hinted at being suicidal in more recent conversations, and while I kept encouraging her to talk to a college counselor, these phone calls made me feel frozen and powerless. Where are you right now? In my dorm room. Is anyone with you? No. I made eye contact with Dan, who had moved closer to me so he could hear. Issa, he mouthed. I nodded. He touched my arm and motioned for me to put her on hold. Issa, can you hold on a sec? I'll be, I'll be right back. Is Issa saying she wants to commit suicide? I, I don't know. Yes, I, I mean, she's saying she's thinking about doing it. But is she saying she's going to do it? Do you think she's at risk of harming herself? Because if you think she's going to do it, then we have to call someone. 
I should take a moment to tell you that Dan is the absolute perfect person for this situation as he was a clinical psychologist working with college students. She either needs to agree to admit that she's suicidal to one of her advisors or crisis counselors, or that she tells security or goes to the hospital. Somebody that works for the university needs to be told. Then we'll need confirmation from that person directly that she's talked to them. If she doesn't want to do that, we're going to call campus security. My head spun. I had known Issa since 2006 when she was a participant in a theater program I ran on the south side of Chicago. I had embraced the chance to be a kind of surrogate mom to many teens at my job. In Issa's case, though, it meant I filled a gaping hole where a mom was supposed to live, even six years later. But she's going to be so angry with me. It's better that she doesn't want to talk to you than if she kills herself. I looked down at my phone. Of course, he was right. I turned off the hold button. Isa, if you're talking like this, then you should go tell a counselor or go to the hospital. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to the hospital. Okay, but I'm worried about you. You really need to talk to a professional right now. I motioned for Dan to call campus security as I kept her on the phone. About 15 minutes later through the phone, I heard a knock at the door. Oh my God, you called someone? I can't believe you, I trusted you. I can't believe, I'm sorry, Issa, but you... And then she hung up. So uh, I'm, I could talk to you all day, um, but I know it's <laughs> totally. probably just like 9.30 there now. So <laughs> no worries. You probably want to go I'm to still, bed. I'm still jet lagged, that's cool. <laughs> like, still trying, yeah, um, that's I do. fine ask you um <laughs> so what do you think is a superpower from performing and being a performer that informs your writing that you have <laughs> A superpower that informs my writing. Um, yeah. Your performance superpower. My performance super. I would say uh, mm, these are two different things, but I'm also thinking of them in the same way. I would say like immediacy and vulnerability. Um, mm. When you are on stage performing live lit, the, a big difference between it being a live lit piece and a traditional monologue is that you don't have a fourth wall and you can't act like you have a fourth wall. You have to acknowledge the audience and you have to talk to them. You have to tell the story to them. You have to make them part of, of the experience. It's like reaching across into the, into the audience and just like carrying them with you in this emotional experience that, that you're portraying on stage. Um, and it takes a lot of cutting through bullshit to get there. You know, you, you can't, uh, you can't hold back. You know, I, I used to work in prisons um, for a good part of my career. And part of what I would do is, um, is do like person, I would, I would help coach personal story writing uh, with incarcerated young men and women, and we would 
take those stories and turn them into musicals. And um, I could never BS with them. Uh, it was just, they would, they would be the first people to call you out. And, oh. you know, I'm not, I, I think that's, that's the same sentiment that I'm, I'm taking into uh, a theater or a dive bar or wherever I'm performing, because most likely it is not a theater, um, is that I want that immediate connection with the audience. Um, and that's what I want in my writing as well. I, I want to be able to cut through a lot of fat um, to get to what is really emotionally relevant um, and, and what you could read on the page that, that will go straight into you. Um, and I think like with this, with this particular essay, um, I think I was pretty successful at that just because I, even like the way that I'm, um, writing out sentences, like walking out in the rain, it's gotten cold since morning, it's 8 PM walking down into the L carrying my bike helmet, checking in with myself while talking to my mom on the phone, like just even cutting to the quick of, of some of those sentences. Um, to get you through them as well, to to get you through to the the kind of bigger questions uh, that I have in my brain in that moment, mm -hmm. like that that's what I'm most interested in. That that's how I, I most strongly see those those two sides of my practice connecting. Well, I certainly thank you for taking the time to talk to me today yeah. about this. Uh, I wish you a safe travels all. <laughs> the world. Thank you, Keisha. Uh, getting information and informing your writing. Do you think you'll do any live lit somewhere over there? Oh man, that would be so cool. I'd love to do it. Um, I you love should to like do make it. a point to like do a live lit in every spot and then like I put it on Instagram or maybe, something. Maybe I'll just do like a pop up live lit where I'm like in Berlin and I'm like telling the story in a park and people are like, I can't understand her. She's speaking in English. And I'm like, yeah. oh, you're from these Americans with their stuff. <laughs> right. Like always got to like stop and pontificate or something. But yeah, um, yeah I, I, I hope I will in some way, shape or form. I think that would be super cool. I hope that you got something from that interview, that you were inspired, that you were encouraged, uh, that you were maybe prompted to think about your own sabbatical. Maybe you can do um, some type of do-it-yourself retreat, which is what my Volna um, fellow alum, Susan Ito, wrote about in the February issue of The Writer Magazine. You know, The Writer is actually one of the magazines that I will get and I will actually sit down and read the whole thing. Like, I've never done that before with um, a magazine. Like, I get The New Yorker, but I parse it out through the week. But The Writer, I'm just like, oh, I got to read everything right now. And it's it's a good magazine. So check it out um, and check out the March issue. Self-promotion is not a dirty word. You know, for the longest time, I, I think I thought it was, and I'm kind of starting to get it now. It, it's not, because if you don't promote yourself, ain't nobody going to do it for you, okay? Behind the Pros Music is by UK artist Redvers West Boyle. The show is hosted and produced by me, Keisha Whitaker, from a larger closet. I've got a larger closet, y'all, in Pennsylvania. I guess that's all I want to say. Until next time, 
Listen, learn, and write.